mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 32 this morning. But by way of review, if you remember, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And pretty much, Jesus doesn't argue with him about him keeping the commandments, the, the, the relationship with other people all of his life. He doesn't argue with him. But look what he says to him um, in verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. Now notice, I just want to, by way of review, uh, bring up the fact that Jesus, because he loved him, he told him the truth. See, in our world today, we're upside downward. We hide the truth from people. When we love them. Well, don't tell them. We won't even tell people if they got a booger on their nose or food on their face. We won't say to them, we say we love them, but we stand there talking to them and they got egg on their face, something on their face, and we say, I love you. But we won't tell them that they're standing there with that on their face because we're afraid we might offend their pride. Listen, the gospel, every single time you get into it is there to offend your pride it's there to get you to humble yourself so that god can lift you up because self is the problem sin is the problem the sin nature the self nature the independence so when we love somebody we tell them the truth because if we don't tell them the truth they're never confronted with it and they always think they're okay and the truth is that we're not okay. Our world is not okay. We're a God-rejecting world. We'll choose anything to worship and reject God. We'll shake our fist in His face and say, No, God. And I did it that way on purpose. Because that's the fist we're shaking today in our communities at God, which is evil. It's communist. It's from the devil. And it's saying no to God because everything that we're doing is saying no to God in our communities. Listen, the battle in the streets is not against a white, systemic, racist country. The battle is against God Almighty. We want to erase God Almighty from our society. We want somebody in power that will rule over us with their authority, and it's going to be the Antichrist. That's what we're opening ourselves up to. 
The Bible is true. But I get ahead of myself, so I will digress. And let's read Mark 10, 32, because we want the love of God to penetrate our heart, and we want to know truth. We don't want to continue living in our lie. Now, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, Kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do us whatever we ask. Do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may set one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called at them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them? And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to come, excuse me, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus and the son of Timaeus sat at the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabonia, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evangelist's testimony of what you did when you were here on the earth with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can follow you now and be married to you, betrothed to you, accepted in the beloved because of your blood. Because you set your face like flint to go to Jerusalem, even knowing what was going to be there, what you were meet with. 
you laid down your life. Thank you for that. Teach us by the power of your spirit and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look back. 32. Now they were on the way, King James. It says road here. It's way, King James, going up to Jerusalem. Everywhere you went in the Middle East and you, when you was going to Jerusalem, you go up. You always go up. They always spoke of going up to Jerusalem, never down to Jerusalem, no matter whether you was north or south or east or west. You always go up to Jerusalem, the city of the kings. Uh, the temple of God was there. And Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Now look, there's a lot of stuff in that verse. I could teach the whole service in that verse. They were in the way. They're on the way with Jesus. The way is a progress. It's a means. It's the highway of God. They're on the way with Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What way are you in? They're going up to Jerusalem. Now, I believe that it's not just the disciples and Jesus, even though reading the text you might think so, but there's many people. There might be hundreds of people with him because he's on his way to be crucified. He's crucified on the Passover. And Passover is one of the three festivals where all the adult males were supposed to be in Jerusalem. So there's all of these people, possibly great caravans of people, going with them. How do I know that? Because he says there, then he took the twelve aside. See, there's a bunch of other people there, and he takes the twelve aside to get them away from the other people so he can speak to them. So we don't know how many people are here, but notice that Jesus was going before them. That's interesting, isn't it? See, because in this Christian life, Jesus always goes before us. But so often we get in our programs and our religion and our culturality, and we're way out in front of Jesus. We're just out there playing church. We're just out there doing stuff because somebody said it, but Jesus is not in front of us. Listen, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. Jesus must be out in front. The Spirit of God must be out in front leading. It's not just do whatever you want, but being led by the Spirit. Being led by Christ. And they were amazed. They were amazed at what he was doing, what he was saying. They are amazed. Listen, and as they followed, they were afraid. Phobia. They're afraid. He's already told them in Mark at least twice. Some of the other gospels show many other times. He continues to tell them what is going on. And they're not getting it. Remember, he told them, uh, going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, kill me. I'm going to die on a cross. On third day I'll rise. And they're like, they're behind him arguing about who's the greatest. Chapter 9. They're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. They're not hearing the gospel. They're not hearing what he's saying. Because they're too busy with their own affairs. They're too busy finding out who is going to be with him and who's the greatest. 
And we're still doing it today in the church. It's a natural thing of our human nature. And that's why he says, if you desire to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You're not looking to be great. We're going to be on this theme a lot in this gospel. We're not, we're not looking to be great. We're looking to make him great. We're looking to die to ourselves and follow him. And you can't, listen to me, you cannot follow him and follow the world at the same time. You love one and hate the other. You have to choose who you're going to follow, which way you're going to be in. You can't be in both ways. So they're amazed and they're afraid. That's an okay place to be. Amazed and afraid. I think they're afraid because they know they're, they're going, they're hearing a little bit, they're going to mock me, beat me, spit on me, kill me. They're hearing some of that. They know they're going to Jerusalem. They've still been believing false stuff. So they think he's going to set up a throne there and take over. So that could be pretty scary. Like we're going there like what? We only got these people. Nobody's got a knife. Nobody's got a gun. Nobody's got any weapons. And we're going to set up kingdom. That would make you afraid. But they're amazed also. Are they amazed at the miracles he's doing? Are they amazed that they're just going to walk right into Jerusalem? I think not. I think they're amazed at this. Now think about this for a minute. Because we see faith in our in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And we see a constancy in his faith. See, because faith is not just I said a prayer and I believe, but there's a constancy where you continue to believe. You continue to trust, even if you don't like what's going on. Think about this for a minute. He knows he's going to Jerusalem to die. He's telling them over and over again that I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be mocked, scourged, spit on, and they will kill me. And I'll rise again on the third day. That's why they're amazed that he is going. Think about it. We try to get out of everything in this life. Oh, if I, oh, no, I'm not going there. They're all just going to be mad at me. No, I'm not going to speak up and talk about Jesus because they're just going to mock me and they're going to, they're going to be mad at me. And, and listen, Jesus knows he's going to die. And in a constancy of faith, trusting the Father for what the plan is, he goes forward. He sets his face like flint to Jerusalem. Think about it. Think about it. That's faith. What did God call you to do? What has God anointed you to do? Then you do it by faith. You don't stop because of the danger. You don't stop because of the, the, the world and what they might say. And that's why you cannot, cannot get out in front of Jesus where you're not hearing his voice. You cannot go and do these things that you want to do because of program or religion or culturality. You have to do them because God called you. He died for you. He poured out his blood for you. And then the Spirit gives you gifts, talents, abilities. It gives you a place in the body of Christ. And you have to know that that's what you're called to do, anointed to do, and that God is going before you so that you can do it. And then you can have a constancy in your faith no matter what the circumstances are. It can't be, oh no, look at this pain, look at this frustration, look at that door that's closed. See, if God called you to do it, you have to go and move the door. 
You have to ask for wisdom. How do I move the door? Do I kick it open? Do I pray it open? Do I wait for you to open it? But you can't just say, door's closed, I'm done, I'm going home. See, because if God called you to do it, you got to go. Listen, Jesus was talking about going to Jerusalem, and Peter's like, hey, come here, come here, come here, Jesus, come here, come here, come here. He's telling the Lord to come here, and he says, no, 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 that's not how we're going to do it. Now, see, the flesh of Jesus could have said, Thanks, Peter. I needed an excuse not to go to Jerusalem. Since you don't want me to do it, I'm not going to do it. Since your emotions are in the way and you would like for me to be an earthly, I'm not going to Jerusalem. See, when you know and make sure your calling of who God has called you to do, what your gift is, what your part in the body is, and then you walk in it, there's freedom. There's rest, there's peace, there's plenty of energy to do that. But when you do everything else and you still try to do your way instead of God's way with Him out in front, then there's frustration, there's pain, there's suffering. So I think they're amazed because they're going. No matter what's going on, they're going to Jerusalem. So they're amazed. Stupefied with surprise is what it means. Astounded. And they followed him. They're in a company. They're going with him. They're like, let's do this. Even though they have some fear. And the word does mean reverence too. So it can be that they're just reverencing his, his uh, um, ability to, by faith, be constant and go forward. What has God called you to do? Are you trusting Him? Are you believing Him? Or is there something that's keeping you from doing it? See, on the planet right now, they're trying to keep the church from even meeting. They want to take this pandemic and they want to use it to keep the church from even meeting, from even going to church. I mean, there's really a type of revival going on in California. Churches are filling up. And they're telling them, you can't meet. Who are you listening to? Who's your authority? Who are you following? Who are you supposed to believe? Are you supposed to believe someone who says they love you, yet they're telling you a lie? Or do you believe the true love of God that would tell you the truth and tell you how you're supposed to live? See, a lot of people say, I love you. Rich young ruler, I love you. You're a really nice guy, so go on and do what you're doing. It'll be okay. Just do whatever you feel like doing. Sure. But love come down and confronted us. See, love, God's love incarnate. He could have stayed in heaven. He would have still been love. But we would have been headlong going to death. And somebody needed to pay a price. Somebody needed to speak up. And because he spoke up, they killed him. Because he came and didn't follow their ways, but he brought God's way and God's word and God's truth, they killed him. Because they want to have the power. They want to be the one that's in control. Notice, and finally, verse 32 that I could have taught the whole service on, and I'm moving quickly through it. He takes the 12 aside, removes them out, and it says he took the 12 aside again because constantly he's wanting to get you alone with him. 
You get alone with Him in prayer. You get alone with Him in the Word. You get alone with Him and have fellowship with Him, and He will teach you. He will give you courage. He will show you your gifts, talents, and abilities. It's about this personal love relationship. But again, He takes them aside so that they would know. But what does He say? And He began to tell them the things that would happen to Him. I'm here to tell you right now that if you'll get alone with God, you'll again get alone with God, and you'll, get, you'll know the things that are going to happen. See, he tells his friends the things that are going to happen. We know as the church that the one world government is trying to come in. You can call it anything you want. You can call it the deep state. You can call it some crooked politicians. You can call it a lot of things. But it's the devil trying to take control of the planet. He wants to be like the Most High God. And he's easing in to take over the world. And he's going to set his Antichrist up to lead it. We know what's going on. We know that the rapture of the church is imminent. We've read the book. He's told us the truth. Just like he told them what to expect, the church should look up because their redemption draweth nigh. We know the signs of the times. We're not joining. If we know the word of God, we're not joining into their battle. But they're the mission field, and we want to tell them what God is doing. And there's nothing we can do to make them listen. There's nothing we can do to make them hear. But if we love them, we will tell them the truth. They can go away like the rich young ruler, sorrowful. They can go away the way they showed up, sorrowful, with no joy. Or they can believe the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen to me. This is amazing times that we live in. It's not a time to fear. It's not a time to shrink back. It's not a time to shut up. It's a time to stand up. The devil is trying to deceive the world and get rid of the church. The devil is trying to take over and become the authority and the power. He wants to be like God. He wants to be the father, and he's only the father of lies. He doesn't love us. He loves power. He doesn't love those that he wants to worship and follow him. He just loves to, He wants to be like the Most High God. He's bent on doing that the same way. Christ was bent on obeying the authority of the Father. The same way the church is supposed to be obeying the authority of the Father. Not listening to the lies of the devil and getting caught up in a physical battle in the streets. Our battle is not of flesh and blood. It's of principalities and powers. A spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's it's the power of darkness that we see across the planet trying to deceive the elect if it's possible so he told them he began to tell them the things that would happen to him would you like for God to speak with you are you learning to hear his voice are you getting alone and coming aside with God to hear him so that he will tell you what's going on in the world you don't have to be afraid you can be amazed at the majesty of God and the work of God so he's going to tell them the third time in the book of Mark in the testimony of this evangelist uh, verse 33 behold we are going up again we're going up to Jerusalem teaching peace city of peace 
In Hebrew, it means founded, peaceful. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's a messianic term, will be betrayed to the chief priest and the scribes. Notice that, chief priest and the scribes. That's the ruling authority. That's the religious people of the day. They're going to be, Jesus is betrayed by those who say they are the religious authority and in charge. Those that are in authority of the church. We see that again happening today. Much of the church is betraying Jesus and going into political correctness and socialism. Most of the church today is following the world and its plan, the father of lies, and not following the word of God. They've walked away from the spirit of God, and they have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. And they will condemn, judge him to death. That's their decision, condemn him to death, cross And they will deliver him to the Gentiles. They deliver him over to the Romans. We know the story. We know the context. We've seen the end of these things. It's Passover weekend. They don't want to get dirty, so they hand him over to the Romans. And they will mock him, scourge him. That's beating with the cat of nine tails. It was the Romans cleanup statement where they beat you so that you would confess all of your crimes about Rome and Jesus had committed none. So they beated him unmercifully. They beat him worse than any man has ever been beaten when they scourged him. They spit on him. They mocked him and they killed him. They nailed him to a tree. But it was his love that held him there, not the nails. It was his love that, that made him go there. It was the love that convinced him that he had to have a constancy in his faith. And no matter what they were going to do, he had to tell the truth and speak the truth and be the truth incarnate. And the third day, here's the resurrection, he will rise again. So he's telling them of the resurrection. This is the evidence that he's the Messiah. Here's what's going to happen. Follow me. Listen, if you know what's going to happen, and I'm here to tell you that one world government is coming. It's coming. No, it doesn't matter whether Donald Trump is president or Joe Biden is president. They're trapped in their plans and God is laughing at them. He will mock them. But they're on God's timetable. They're not on their timetable. They think they are in authority, but God is the authority. God is the one who's still on the throne. It's God's history. It's His story. It's His plan of redemption. We're still on His timetable. It doesn't matter who becomes president. If Joe Biden is elected, they'll bring it all in real fast on top of us. If Donald Trump is elected, they're going to bring in more riots and they're going to bring in lawyers and they're going to fight against it. And they're going to say that we're just a racist country. A racist country doesn't elect black presidents. A racist country doesn't allow black, so-called black people to run as a vice president on a ticket. A racist country, once again, does not pay rap stars and sports stars millions of dollars to entertain them and then let them speak about it in public. 
It's just a ridiculous assertion. There is racism. There are people that are racist, that they hate people because of the color or the nature of their their, uh, ethnicity. But this is all biblical things that are happening. Matthew 24 says that ethnicity will be against ethnicity. But there's only one race, the human race. And if we love as Christ called us to love, not revile for reviling, not hate for hate, but love even those who hate us, it wipes out their racism. Because that's what's really going on, is racism. They're yelling, racism, racism, yeah, you're the racist. You hate us because of the color of our skin. You're doing what you're doing because of the color of somebody's skin and their opinion. That's racism. Make no mistake, anytime the devil's talking, he's lying to you. And most of the time, he's such a tactician as he's doing exactly what he's telling you that you're doing. He's the one that's going to hell, not the saint. He's the one that's unworthy because of his heart, not the saint. We're worthy because of Christ. Don't let him lie to you. Get aside with Jesus and let him tell you the truth. Let him love you. And then don't go away sorrowful. Go away with joy that he would die for you. Go away with joy and ask him how to obey him and what he's instructing you to do. And whatever you do, don't go away. We'll see this with blind Bartimaeus. No matter what they say, keep crying out to Jesus. So this is going on. He's telling them that. And guess what James and John are doing, the sons of thunder? Look, verse 35. The sons of Zebedee came to him. I don't know if you know, this is his cousins too. Their mother, in Matthew 20, it says, came with them. Mark's not telling us that. It's not important for this uh, uh, testimony here. Doesn't make it wrong. It's just he's focusing in on the two disciples that are with him, and mom's not there. But James and John... The sons of Debbie came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that the way we pray today? I'm not serving God because he won't do for me whatever I ask. Look what their look at their selfish heart. You can see it coming. Jesus seen it coming a mile away. Do whatever we ask, authority. They come to Jesus and say, we want you to do it. Now, listen, I can just tell you, this reminds me of, and this is the only place I can place it at, is, is when my wife says, hey, i got to tell you something, but you promise you won't get mad? Now, she does that type of stuff. Now, 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 obviously, it means that it's a time when I would normally get mad, and she knows that this is not a good thing. i got to tell you something, but I, I don't want you to get mad. Really? And then I'm supposed to go, Well, you know me, I don't get mad at nothing. I wouldn't get mad. Go ahead and tell me. I typically say, I don't want to hear it. Because if it's something that I'm supposed to get mad at, then why are you approaching me that way? Now, I'm not picking on my wife. I'm just saying, this is what this reminds me of. Hey, Jesus, we're going to ask you something. You don't know what it is because you're only God in the flesh. But uh, won't you do whatever we ask you? 
What kind of praying is that? See, it's upside down. It's selfish. It's man's plans. It's man's ways. Do what we ask instead of aligning our heart with what God's doing. He's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He is, he is having a constancy in his faith where no matter what they're going to do to him, he's going to Jerusalem. He knows what he was anointed for, what he was called for. He's the son of David. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and He goes. And they're going, hey, do something for us that we ask you. It's like a loaded question. Those loaded questions bother me. They don't bother Jesus. Watch what He says. And He said to them, that's a dumb question. No, no, it, it is, though. It's selfish. It's prideful. It's I'm looking for position. See, they're still finishing the conversation of chapter nine when they're on the road and they're all saying. Who's the greatest? And remember, Jesus grabs a child and brings him into the midst of him as he took him aside. And he says, if you become like one of these children. But they're still on this same subject, even though he's talking about his faith, his anointing, his uh, 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 death and resurrection in Jerusalem, they're still being very selfish, even though he's laying his life down. We'll get to that in a minute, in 45. So Jesus, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? See, he's reasoning with them. He's able to handle anything you bring to him, but he's always going to try to align your heart with what he's doing. That you die to self and you to take up his desires, then he can answer all of your prayers. He'll give you whatever your heart desires when you begin to desire what he's doing. When you begin to desire to live by faith. When you begin to desire to have a constancy in faith, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when it's not what you want to do right now, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You'll be able to ask what you want and he'll give it to you. It's in John 14, I believe. They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. See, they're still thinking earthly kingdom. We're on our way to Jerusalem. He's going to set himself up. He's going to be king. We're going to restore it to the days of Solomon. This is what they had been taught because they couldn't really see that the first time Jesus come, he would come as a suffering servant who, who would lay down his life and he'd be crucified and killed for the sins of the world. And then he would raise on the third day. And the second time he's coming, he's coming soon. He's coming on a white horse as a judge to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, those that are living life for Him and those that are still dead and refuse to accept His life, to accept His blood. Life is in the blood. We have to be covered in the blood. So they ask this selfish question that they can, one set on one hand and one on the other hand. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. They don't even understand what he's saying. We are able. Look, it's laughable. I got ha 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 written in my Bible. You and I, we don't really know the fullness of the cup. 
that we have to drink in this life. But God does, and that's why it's so important to have Him out in front of us. Him going first. Him leading the way. They're ready to say anything in order to have their selfish ambitions fulfilled. You ever do that in prayer? You ever do that with leaders, with people around you, with your family? Say anything to win the argument. Say anything to get your selfish desires. That's what they're saying here. They don't even understand what the cup is. They don't even understand what he's talking about, baptism, which means to be whelmed. It means to be the fully wet and identified. Remember the cup? He's in the garden. He says, Father, take this cup from me. It's the cup that he has to drink. It's the place that he has to go. It's the suffering that he has to go through. It's the price he has to pay to be the name above all names where one day every knee will bow to the praise of his glory. But they're ready to say anything to get their own selfish way. Now listen to me, listen to me. Because the world... And the upside-down, selfish world that is not underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they would say, good work, guys. Good work, guys. Instead of arguing in a group about who's going to be greatest, just go out there and get it. Just go out there and take it. Just go get out there. But see, I'm here to tell you that God says... We're already anointed. We're already appointed. He already knows your gifting. He already knows your talents. He knows your place in the body of Christ. You don't have to try to sneak in and ask Him to make you the right hand or the left hand. Right hand is the power. And then the respected guest would be on the left hand. These are places that they want to be above the other ten. This is called selfishness and pride and vainglory. And we want to be there with you. And hey, you know. Again, like Matthew 20, mom's there. They're using their, their family, their heritage. We're your cousins, dude. Yeah, so was John the Baptist, and they cut his head off. Listen to me. We've got to get a grip on this. That anyone desires to come after me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. To be in the way with him. Not continuing to follow our own selfish life and do what we want to do and think that because we said a prayer, we're okay. We have to lay our lives down to follow Jesus. You can't keep doing what you've always done. We're going to see a big example of this with blind Bartimaeus in a minute. So they said to him, we are able... 39b, so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. Listen, God is sovereign. It's already prepared. Things are already in stone. They're already written. It's already done. He sees the end as the beginning. And they will indeed. In chapter 12 of Acts, James is the first one to be killed of the disciples. Remember that? And then because it pleased the people, they arrested Peter and put him in jail. Peter was released after prayer meeting. And then John, of course, they couldn't kill him. They tried to kill him, boiled him in oil, they say. 
cast him off the pinnacle of the temple, they say. And when they couldn't kill him, they took him and put him on the island of Patmos. Then he wrote, he's John the Revelator. He wrote the book of Revelation on the Lord's day as he was pulled aside and meeting with the Lord. And the Lord showed him everything that was going to happen and how the church was going to be raptured. And the church wasn't going to go through the one world government. The church might go through some suffering. We might have to drink that cup. We might have to be baptized in death. There's martyrs dying every day for Jesus. I was trying to think. I just read a, just read about or seen an article about wasn't there 500 Christians killed in Ethiopia? Yeah. Just killed them because they were Christians. That's drinking the cup. You know, and they're always given the chance. Deny Christ and we'll let you live. Doesn't it seem reasonable that you could go, oh yeah, I don't know the guy, and walk off and live, and then you're free to tell people about Jesus? It seems reasonable. I mean, just like when you think about it on a reasonable plane, I'm going to shoot you if you don't deny Jesus. Okay, I deny him. Just words. As they tell us about these cuss words and things that we're saying now in the church. And we're going, oh, it's just words. Really? It's a confession of faith. It's a constancy in who the authority of your life is and who you trust in. And your actions prove it out. It's not just words. It's a heart issue. They're killing Christians. And we're fighting over racism. All of it is a subterfuge. It's all a tactic of the devil to deceive us into receiving the authority of the Antichrist. Into receiving the father of all lies and letting the government be the power and the authority and the one that controls things. Instead of saying, no, I'm a new creation. I'm a citizen of heaven. This is not my home. I understand your lies because I've been spending time with Jesus and He told me what's going to happen and He's told me what I'm called to do and I will not shut up. I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to walk around in fear because the government says it's time to be afraid. Listen. And that type of faith is why people get saved. When Nero was killing Christians, even the guards of Nero would lay down their weapons and get in line with the Christians because they went to their death with no fear. They went with bravery. They went proclaiming Jesus. The guards would lay down their armor and get in line with them and say, that's the God I want to follow. And they would believe also because of the actions of the saints. What about our actions? Who are we following? Are we searching to have this love relationship and finding out what our gifts and talents and abilities are? Are we trusting and allowing Him go before us? Are we going aside and spending time with the Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth? Or are we still jockeying for position 
You see it all the time in churches. They're jockeying for position. Oh, look at them new people. They're moving chairs and they're doing everything until you notice them and then they quit. They want man's notoriety. They want man to, to, to praise them and say, look how much of a servant they are. It's God that we are here to live for and to be pleased by. It's God that gifts and it's God that we should be crying out to to find out what we're supposed to be doing. And we should be not man-pleasers, but God-pleasers. And if we're God-pleasers, we would understand that authority has been placed in the church. And we would understand what that authority is and how we're supposed to appropriate that authority and listen. Or we're actually causing division and demonic activity in the church when we act any way we want and think that it's something that's funny. We're mocking God. Notice if we follow the plan that they have, Listen to me. 1 John 5, 19. I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. If you follow the world's plan, you're following the devil's plan. You are betraying Christ if you follow the world's plan. And that's what he wants you to do right now. The devil wants you to follow Black Lives Matters, Antifa. The devil wants you to make your allegiance no matter what with a Democratic Party, no matter what with a Republican Party. My allegiance is to Christ. I heard somebody say yesterday, well, I'm an American first and then I'm in the Union second. No, no, no. I'm a Christian first and foremost and I will support life. And if America believes in life the way Jesus does, then I'll support America. And if I'm going to vote, I'll vote for somebody who's promoting life, not death. It's that simple. Because Christ came to give life. He didn't come to take life. Our life was already lost. And so all you have to do is look around and watch what people are preaching what they're doing what their authority is not what they're saying watch what they're doing they're trying to kill everything and they want you to believe that that's a party of death that's a people of death that's from the devil he's the father of death see before him there was only life he brought about death sin the wages of sin is death he brought that about with his original pride. But again, as I always say, I'm a Christian first, and Donald Trump could be the Antichrist. I don't know. We haven't heard the end of a matter yet. And you need to be very careful that your allegiance is only with Christ. Only with Christ. Doesn't mean you don't vote for Donald Trump. But he's not my savior. I'm not putting my hope in him. I might give him my vote because I can continue to preach Jesus if he's in the pulp or if he's in the presidency. And somebody will say, "Well, he is preaching an awful lot about politics." No. Politics is the decisions of the the affairs of men. God's already decided the affairs of men. We're all sinners and we all need a Savior. And apart from Him, we're going to hell. And there's no wisdom or understanding against that. And if we follow the world, we're following earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. But if we follow God's Word, 
We have wisdom indeed. He'll give you wisdom. Just come and ask him of it. He told them they'll drink the cup. But there's things that are already prepared. Who are you following? Whose plans are you following? 41. And when the ten heard it, notice this. Is there's ten other disciples. Two of them are easing off trying to jockey for position. We're selfish. We want this. Hey, we got mom here. She's got a little authority over you, Jesus. We're related. The ten heard it and began to be greatly displeased with James and John. You know what? They're just mad because they didn't think of it. They wanted to be the greatest also. They're just displeased because they beat them there. Every one of us, all 12 of them and everybody ever born, there's none righteous, no, not one. We all, if live in self, want to take care of self, we want to ask prayers for self, we need to ask prayers designed to fulfill the kingdom of God. And if you don't know, ask him, how do we pray, Lord? But Jesus called them. Look here again. He takes them aside again. I'm going to school you again, he says. He called them to himself. That's who he's calling, you and I, to himself. Not to the world, not to leadership according to the world, but he calls us to him. We've been called to Christ, to a personal love relationship. We're not called to do anything other than fall in love with Jesus and let him lead our life and tell others about it. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentile, earthly authority, lord it over them. I'm the boss. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, the leadership in the kingdom is not the same as the world. But whoever desires, if that's what you're wanting, to become great among you shall be your servant. Think about this. Jesus came down. We're going to see it. And whoever of you... Desires to be first shall be slave of all. There's some of that racist talk. Be a slave. Hey, listen, when people tell you about racism, make sure you tell them that America, because of God of the Bible, led the march against slavery in the world and set slaves free. And a bunch of Christians died fighting to set slaves free. A bunch of Americans died fighting to set slaves free, to right the wrongs of the world. We have soldiers dying everywhere to right the wrongs of the world. We're not out there fighting for selfishness. We're not trying to conquer the world. We're trying to set people free so that they will know about Jesus. And now we've lost that in our government. Now we're doing it just for the sake of power. Oh my goodness, the school of slavery? It's really servant in the King James. It's minister in the King James. The word slave is not using. Or it's not used, I should say. Using is not a word. I just made that up. But it's the word doulos, voluntary slave. It's something you volunteer to do. You serve because you're no longer trying to be great. You're no longer trying to be right hand or left hand. You're trying to be like the Messiah who what? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, to be ministered to, but to minister and give His life a ransom for many. 
to pay the price for many. And see, when our eyes are open, now we want to lay down our life so other people will see a true and living God. Other people will see that the world's way of lording over, the world's way of sitting on a throne and massing people around us is not the way it's done. Jesus was Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He had everything. He didn't need anything. And we can't change him by anything we do. And he came down and became flesh and blood and died for us. He came down and become a servant to all. In the last night of his life, go read it, John 13. He washed feet of his disciples. The lowest servant on the planet, that's what he did. He would wash the feet of other people. He humbled himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. In fact, let's just go there and look at this to see what Jesus did. He, he became a ransom for us. He gave his life. His blood was poured out to redeem us to God. He freely gave his life, and that's what we're supposed to follow. A ransom is something to loosen with. See, we were bound in the cords of sin. We were bound to death because the wages of sin is death. And he paid a redemptive price. Ransom means an atonement. And if you break that into three syllables, it's at one again. at one is what we have now become in the blood of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus' Uh, uh, that he paid the price. You become at one again with God because of the blood of Jesus and his substitutionary death. We could not pay for our sin. In fact, we were slaves to sin. The word slave is there. And he paid the ransom. He was sold out and betrayed by Judas for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. He became that slave and took all of our punishment, all of our death. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of God the Father for sin so that you and I could live a life of righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He came down and served and laid his life down. Everything about him became a living sacrifice So that you and I could receive this love. Not run around like rich young rulers. But we could receive this love. And go away with the joy of the Lord. Knowing that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And brought back into a family with a father who doesn't lie but loves. With a father who has rules and he wants us to obey. He's brought us back into this family. But the devil keeps trying to convince us that his family is better. And if we live in our own selfish nature, we're still living for the devil. And rejecting the ransom. Anyway, let's read Philippians 2. Go over to Philippians 2. You might want to go through this a little slower, Philippians 2, uh, by yourself later. It's an amazing chapter that really uh, tells us everything that Jesus is saying here. In fact, oh my goodness. I think I'm just going to start in 2.1 and just try to go through it pretty quick. And we'll try to close this out with blind Bartimaeus, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like minded. 
We'll see what mind in verse 5. But this is Paul speaking to the church in the Macedonian region where he was in prison in Philippi. And while he was in prison, chained to the walls, if you remember, uh, there was a jailbreak while they worshipped and sang music, him and Silas. Having the same love, being of one accord and one mind in unity, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Your own conceited, your own ideas. Listen, that's what James and John just did. Hey, hey, I got an idea, brother. Let's go. Let's get mom and let's go run up on Jesus and let's see if we can be right hand and left hand. We are related and we don't have to argue with these guys about who's greatest anymore, but we'll get our position and forget the rest. As long as we're noticed, as long as we're out there, if he's going to rule and reign, I want to be first. You can be second. No, no. You know, see, listen, listen. They still had this argument. Listen to me. This is pretty interesting. If Jesus would have said, okay, then James and John would have been arguing over who got the right and who got the left. It wouldn't have been over. So we want to trust in God's will. And I am convinced that the, 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 that uh, Islam, listen to me, I'm convinced that, uh, uh, that, that they're fighting Russia and Islam, or actually communist and Islam, they're all joined together to attack and destroy. It's really the devil, obviously, but they can't figure out between the two of them who's going to be number one after they destroy America, after they destroy Israel. So they're kind of stuck in their own conundrum that they're joined together. The enemies of God have joined together, but now they don't know who's going to be out front. Is it going to be Islam ruling or is it going to be communism? And I believe it's China more than it's Russia, but Russia's involved and they're brought all be in cahoots eventually because the devil is going to bring them into a convergence where there's going to be one world religion, one world economy, and one world government, and uh, the church is going to be gone. That's a lot, but it's in the Bible. It's all written down clearly for us to see. So let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Well, I'm going to go do this because I want people to notice me. I'm going to do this because I should be there or conceit. But in lowliness, in humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If you're always esteeming others better than you and you're trying to serve them, it's kind of like the marriage unit. If you're trying to make the other spouse the greater spouse, the better spouse, you're trying to do your part that God called you to love, to submit. You're trying to just do your part as the body of Christ to, to serve others and to minister to others. Then everybody will always be above you and you'll never be above them in pride. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Listen, that's a calling that we have according to the gospel. Not to be selfishly just doing what I'm doing. I'm going to get mine. That's worldly. That's, that's earthly, central, demonic wisdom. But you're also supposed to be concerned about your decisions, what you're doing, how it affects the rest of the body of Christ, how it affects your witness as a Christ follower in the way with him. Then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind is that? Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. That's a doulos. That's a minister. That's one who voluntarily lays down their life to serve another. And coming from heaven, from the throne room, in the likeness of men, born of a virgin, and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself 
you know how humbling it would be if you are God to become a little lower than an angel, which you created to serve you, and then to come down and serve and wash feet? This is what he did. He humbled himself. And how low did he humble himself? He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, which name means a character, nature, and authority. He's the authority now. That's why he sent us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, bend the knee of those in heaven and those on earth, and of those under the earth, uh-huh, every, every, all, get a calculator, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, notice this, to the glory of God the Father. God the Father sent him. God the Father gave him as a gift. God the Father's plan, and Jesus is obedient to it to the point of death, and it glorifies the Father. And you and I have become children of the Father through Christ's blood. We're going to be in his family. We are in it now. Listen to me, but Christ did this through obedience to the Father, and it glorifies the Father, and His children should be glorifying Him by obeying. Why did I say obeying? Look, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, little born again ones, as you have always obeyed, listen to what Paul reminds the church in Macedonia, you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence because he's not there. Then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Remember the disciples on the road, they're afraid. Work out your own salvation. It's tied to obeying. Obey salvation. Obey the tenets of the faith. Learn to train your heart to obey. Work it out. You've always obeyed in my presence, in my absence. Work it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Listen, you can work yourself away from salvation if you don't allow to do God to do his will through the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's at work in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then he gives a, a, a sternness about how to do it. Do all things without complaining or disputing. Those are all selfish, too, and, and earthly, sensual, and demonic. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as stars, just like the stars led the first wise men, lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. What are you holding on to, your old life? You holding on to your own desires, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Look, look, he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I am being poured out. He has become like Christ. Christ was poured out. His blood was poured out. This is the place we go to be poured out for others. To give ourselves away for others. To become a ransom for others. We can't pay for their sin, but we can lay our life down and be a ransom so that they can see what it looks like. What it's, what it's, how it looks to follow the Holy Spirit. How it looks to stand up and not shut up. How it looks to believe and have a constancy in our faith. 
how it looks to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship, and know this is the place that God wants us to be, and the world wants us to be out of fellowship, out of the word, out of prayer, wants us to trust them. And so many Christians right now are sitting at home, watching on video, watching things when the world wants them to be there. The devil wants them to be out of fellowship. Because it's one of the great tenets of the faith, is that we love one another, and and consider one another, and stir up one another. The devil knows that, that there's unity in that, but now he's got us separated. That's his plan. To destroy. I heard the thought put forward yesterday that why are we wasting all of this talent? We don't have to have all of these schools. We can take we can take technology and one person can teach an algebra class and millions could watch it. Why do we need all these teachers? See, you're bringing it all into this convergence of one idea on one video for everybody to watch the same thing. Listen, that's the whole point of looking to Christ as truth. That's the whole point of having the Spirit in you. One teacher. Don't call anybody else teacher. You got one teacher, and that's God. But get in His Word, get in prayer, get in fellowship, or you're listening to other teachers. But now the devil, he comes along and wants to be the father. He's the father of lies, and he tries to set up the same thing on the planet so that you only got one voice, and that's the lie. You only got one place to get your information. And they take down any truth of Jesus. They wipe it off of Facebook. They wipe it off of Twitter. You can only get lie. Do you think you're going to know truth? No, you're going to know lies. You're going to know confusion. And you're going to be underneath the governing authority of the father of all lies. Because you rejected the word of God. Make no mistake, nobody's going to hell because God put them there. That's why Calvinism is wrong. The only people going to hell is the ones that reject this free gift. You have to openly, with decision, reject and say, no, God. We're supposed to be poured out like a drink offering, giving our lives away. And we fall so short, but that's still the goal. To stop with self and to move on with Christ. And then in our text in Mark 10, 46, we're given, listen, we're given a physical testimony of someone who becomes physically healed and spiritually healed, but all of us are born blind. And we have blind Bartimaeus. Listen to me. Watch what he does. This is an amazing text. Now they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho, that's not a confusing statement. There was two cities at Jericho. One was the ancient, one was the new. And you could literally be coming to Jericho after you left Jericho because they were placed in two different places. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Just syntax. With his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus. Bar is always son of, so he was the son of Timaeus. See that there? Set by the road begging. Why? Because he was blind. He couldn't have a job, so he got where everybody was going to be. The Passover's coming. Everybody's coming through, so he's blind. He can beg. It's a great place to be. And when he heard, notice faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, that Jesus of Nazareth, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, what he just said in verse 47 means he believes as Jesus as the Messiah. 
What he just said when he called him son of David, that's messianic. He will be from the lineage of David. So literally in his heart, he's speaking forward. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, I believe you're the Messiah. When he heard that somewhere, he says, oh, if I could just get to Jesus. But I'm blind. Listen, he opens blind eyes. I was once blind, but now I see. Watch blind Bartimaeus. Oh, by the way, Timaeus means the unclean. All of us, none righteous, no, not one. We're all unclean. We're all born blind. We're all beggars who need help, and we don't even know it. Timaeus means unclean, the unclean. We're all in this category, setting by the way, the road, the way. I don't like King, New King James translates it road instead of the way. Begging. So he hears it. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever said that to God? Have mercy on me. Of course. It's, it's all the other people we want. Judge them, God. No, no, no. We want mercy and compassion. God sits on a throne of grace doing what? Meeting out mercy and grace to help in time of need. Have mercy on me. Be compassionate. Have pity on me. I'm a blind beggar. I was born that way. Then what happened? Many warned him to be quiet. Many of them were churchgoers too. Many of them were religious authorities. Many of them might have been disciples. And they're going, shut up, shut up. The teacher's busy. Remember, they did it with the children. But he cried out all the more. Listen, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, I don't care what other people are saying to you. Cry out to Jesus. Doesn't matter what other people are saying to you. Are you still going to church? You still doing that? You still reading your Bible, you Bible boy? What are you doing, you Bible thumper? It doesn't matter what they say to you. Keep crying out to Jesus. Keep crying out to Jesus. If you believe He's the Messiah, why would you stop talking to Him? Why would you stop crying out for Him? If you've got issues, and we all have issues, they're not going to be gone until we're with Him. You should keep crying out to Jesus. And He opens blind eyes. He heals our lives. Because He kept crying out, what happened? 49, so Jesus stood still, commanded Him to be called, then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. Rise, he is calling you. The word rise there has the idea of collecting your faculties. To rise from your sleep. See, we were asleep. We were dead. Arise, you who sleep. Awake, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And be then, always be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's Ephesians 5. This is what we're called to do once we wake up. What did he do? And he said, be of good cheer. Rise up. Collect your faculties. He's calling you. God's calling you, people. Listen to me. God's calling you. You may have walked away, you may have run away, you may have never been saved, but God's calling you right now, and today is the day for salvation, for deliverance from the sin nature, to begin following Him. So what does He do in verse 50? Throwing aside, casting aside His garment, 
he rose, came to Jesus. Listen, he cast aside his garment and put on the garment of Christ. He took off his clothing, who he was, and he's clothed further in Christ. Old nature puts on a new nature. So Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that an interesting question? From the God of the universe who knows that the man's sitting there blind and begging. I don't know. I had this hangnail. I thought you'd fix this hangnail. I thought you'd pay my rent. I don't know, Jesus, since you can save souls, I thought maybe you would get me a good job. Listen, some people do this with Christ. They come and they ask what they desire. They come and ask the wrong things. They do just like his own disciples that's been following him three years we're still doing. But we ought not to do that because we can see the truth. So he answers him clearly because God already knows what you need. But will you agree with him what you need? Open my blind eyes. Look what he says. What do you want me to do for you? Have you, ever, have you ever told Jesus what you want him to do for you? Show me my gifts, my talents, my abilities. What part of the body I am. Give me a desire to be faithful. Give me a desire to follow after you. Give me a desire to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. The blind man said to him, Rabonia. That's, a, that, that's, that's teacher, rabbi. But it's a more extravagant way of saying it with respect. That I may receive my sight. That my eyes might be open. To look up is what it means. Like Jesus is telling them all the time. Look up. Quit looking down. Quit looking out. Look up. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look up. Then Jesus said to him. Look at this. This is a very important verse. Go your way. Your faith. Your your faith means to trust your spiritual well-being into Christ and have a constancy with it has made you whole, has made you well. Whole, King James. It means to deliver or protect. It means to make you whole. It means safe. It means salvation. Immediately he received his sight, so his physical eyes were open, and he followed Jesus on the road. Did you see that? How did we start this section? And we'll close. The disciples were following Jesus, right? Now this blind man who's been begging, Jesus even tells him, here's your choice, go your way. See, when he got saved, when he believed he was the son of David, when he believed he was the Messiah, Jesus' way became his way. Go your way. But see, he could have sat back down, as many people who say they're Christians do. He could have sat back down on the side of the road and continued to be a beggar. But he received an inheritance. He don't need to beg anymore. He's going to follow the one who set him free. He's going to be in the way with him. His way was begging. His way was blind. His way was lost. And God opened his eyes. And now he says, I'm following you. Which means to be in the way with. To choose to do what you say. You go before me. You've given me the gift. You've given me the talent. You've given me the ability. You give me the instruction. You give me the anointing. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Speaking of slavery, do you remember the 
I tell you guys the testimony all the time. I haven't been able to confirm it, but Abe Lincoln was moving through a southern Indiana, Illinois, and came across a slave auction. And there was a slave girl being sold, and he, he bid on her. He won the bid, and she'd come over and says, what now? He says, you're free. She goes, what do you, what do you mean I'm free? He says, you're free. Go on. You can go wherever you want. She goes, I can go where I want? He says, yes, you're free. You're free to go. I can do whatever I want. Yes, you're free. She says, I want to go with you. Listen, if Christ has set you free, you want to go in the way with him because your eyes are open to this salvation. Your eyes are open to this redemptive price. Your eyes are open now where you can surrender your life and become a ransom, become a life that others can see has been touched by Christ. Doesn't make us perfect, but it makes us witnesses to the love of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for blind Bartimaeus who was unclean and begging. And you opened his eyes to see that you were the Messiah, the son of David. And you set him free. And he began to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that every person that names your name would follow you. That they would call out to you. And they would not shut up. They would stand up. And they would not give up. They would not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who shall